So I want to start out this uh, entire series by looking at a time in Jesus' life that um, he was hanging out with his disciples. He was at a region called Caesarea Philippi. It's a very interesting area in, um, in that region, if you've ever been there. Uh, it's the headwaters of the Jordan River. There's all kinds of shrines to different gods there. And Jesus asked his followers a very pointed question. And here's what it says in Matthew 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He's referring to himself, but he's very specific in the words that he chooses. Who do people say the son of man is? What are they saying about me? And their response was, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Do you notice the subtle shift in the question that Jesus asked? Right? He says, what are people saying about the son of man? But then he pauses and he says, who do you say I am? And when he changes the question, as subtle as it may seem, it is huge it is a loaded question full of implication because Jesus uses the statement, I am. And I am is a sacred, to a Jewish listener, and they were all Jewish, when they hear that, it is the sacred name of God. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, the people of Israel were in, uh, living in the land of Egypt for 400 years and they ended up in bondage and slavery to the Egyptians and God promised after 400 years I'm going to send a deliverer and he's going to bring you out of Egypt and bring you to the land that I promised to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. And so 400 years pass and God wants to deliver the people and he wants to use a man named Moses and Moses is living out in the country. He's on a hillside. God shows up in a burning bush experience because it's the only way to get Moses's, maybe not the only way, but it's how God chose to get Moses' attention. And they have this conversation. He says, I want you to go. I want you to lead the people. And Moses says to God, okay, I understand what you're asking me, if, but, but suppose I go. Suppose I do what you ask me to do and I go there and the people of Israel say, what God? What's the name of this God that sent me? Because you got to remember, the people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 400 years. And the Egyptians were uh, polytheists. They had lots of God. Ra, the sun God. They had the Egyptian God of the Nile. They had all kinds of gods. And, and so Moses says, they're going to say, which God? What's the name of this God that sent you to deliver us? And God responds. He says, I am who I am. So if the people ask, who sent you? Tell them, I am has sent me. It is the sacred name of God. So Jesus takes that name upon himself and he is telling his followers, you're gonna have to decide what you believe about me based on this truth, on this declaration, on this thing that I am claiming, that I am claiming to be God in the flesh. And will you accept me or reject me based on that claim? And Peter says, you are the Christ you aren't just the son of man. You are the son of God. You are, I am. Jesus is saying, I, I am God in the flesh. I'm God with flesh and blood. I have come in humility as a servant to make a way for people, for all people to experience grace, love, forgiveness. I am the great I am and I want you to have a relationship with the God who created everything through me. 
Jesus takes this thing upon himself and he says, I want you to understand that what I am uh, saying about myself is that I am God and will you receive that? It, it's a huge question and we, we all wrestle with that. Who is Jesus? But in this series, what I want to do is take the question that Jesus asked his disciples, right? He said, who do you say that I am? And I want to turn it back on ourselves. Jesus, who do you say I am? Who does I am say that I am? Who does I am say that you are? Because if we don't understand who we are in Christ, we'll never, 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 never fulfill all the plans and purposes that he has for our lives. This is so important. We're going to do this entire series uh, on this idea of who does God say that I am. But beyond that, I just thought, um, you know, this is important. So we actually did something. We put uh, some t-shirts together and they look something like this. I am who I am because I am says I am. Shirley Breifogel uh, shared that statement with me, and I said, I like that. I'm going to put it on a t-shirt. So here's what I want to do, and we're going to just take like a 15-second pause in the message. So you could take out your phone right now and text the word shirt to 94000. We're going to make these shirts available at the end of the series. We're going to hand them out. They're, they're, we're not charging for them. If you want to make a donation, we'd recommend $10. I know somebody might say, I want to buy them for the whole, whole church. We won't say no. Uh, <laughs> But we're not charging for them. Recommended donation uh, is $10. But if you want one, to text the word shirt now would be great. Later is fine, 94000. It's going to immediately uh, have an auto response. Please let us know how many shirts you want, what sizes. There are only adult sizes, small through triple large. So hopefully there's a size for everyone, middle school, uh, even elementary school. Just probably get a small would be uh, appropriate. But go ahead, get one of those shirts. And why? Because I don't want to just do a sermon series and you're challenged and hopefully it changes your life. But I know it's easy to forget some of the things that we learn, that we hear. So I want in the days, weeks, months, years to come, you wearing that shirt, you look in the mirror and you say, who am I? I know who I am because of what I am says. This is a reminder this is who we are in Christ. And who you are in Christ, who I am in Christ, begins when we come to Jesus through faith, asking for forgiveness. And we come to him. And he begins to say, now, I'm going to change some things inside of you. But I know so many people, so many Christians, people who have been Christians for years, for decades, who still wrestle with fully understanding and fully embracing who they are in Christ. See, as human beings... Um, our identity is shaped by a lot of things, how we view ourselves, our sense of self. So it, it's formed by a lot of things, um, things we see, things we experience, things we've done, things people have said about us, things we've said about ourselves, uh, and, and they all kind of uh, come into our hearts, into our lives, into our thoughts, and they begin to formulate a sense of self. We go through experiences, trauma, rejection, hurt, disappointment, failure. And they all begin to form our sense of self until we hear in our inner thoughts things that define who we are. I'm a failure. I'm unlovable. I'm unwanted. I'm unacceptable. 
I'm good for nothing. We believe all these lies, and then we hear somebody say, that's not who God says we are, and we say, but I know who I am. I've already defined who I am. Add to that the fact that there is an enemy of our souls, the devil, who whispers, he's called the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of people, the accuser of Christians, and he whispers in our ears lie after lie. Listen, do you remember what you did way back then, five years ago, 10 years ago? Do you remember what they said about you? Remember what you uh, thought last night? Do you remember what you looked at? Do you remember what you said? And all of that comes pouring into our hearts because he is trying to keep us in bondage to the lie that says, I am not who God says I am. I am who I say that I am. I am who I've determined that I am. Is it any wonder with everything external and internal and spiritual that we have such a hard time accepting who we are in Christ? So just this past week, I was on social media and there was a, a, a thread of, of uh, comments on a post. The post had nothing to do with our identity in Christ. It had uh, something else entirely. But I'm reading through it. I kind of got sucked into it. And you go down the rabbit hole and I'm reading all these comments. And I read one and it, it, it broke my heart. Because I think so many Christians, this was written by a Christian, so many Christians think of their identity in Christ like this. And this is what the person said. We're all worthless pieces of crap, deserving nothing but hellfire. If we fail to remember what we are and what we are is nothing but worthless pieces of crap, if we fail to remember what we are apart from Jesus covering our sin, then your version or any version of grace is worthless. Listen to me. We're, we've all sinned. We all need forgiveness. We all need grace. We all need to turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior and Redeemer. We all need to accept his, his, um, his finished work on the cross. That's all true. But we are not worthless pieces of crap. You are of great, great. The Bible doesn't teach you're worthless. The Bible teaches you're of great value. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible that we know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He loves you. You're valuable. He cares. About he sent his own son. He sent heaven's best to redeem you and to redeem me and to re redeem all of mankind. He didn't say, you've got really no value, but I guess I'll just... He sent heaven's best because you're so valuable. You're made in his image. You are his image bearer and you're made to carry inside of you his very Holy Spirit that you and he would walk together in unity. You're of great value. Psalm 17 says you're the apple of God's eye. That he looks at you, he cherishes you above everything. He cherishes us above everything. We're of great value. We are the object of God's affection. We're not worthless we're of great value. This is what Jesus says about our value in Matthew 10. Two sparrows, he said. This is Jesus speaking. Two sparrows cost only a penny. Not even one of them dies without your heavenly father knowing it. And then he goes on and says, even the hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth much more than many sparrows. One translation says, you're worth more than a whole flock of sparrows. In other words, if God is concerned about a bird flying through the air, your value is intrinsically higher. You can't even calculate your value. It's not that a sparrow or two is worth a penny and you're worth like five pennies. No, no, he's saying, listen, you, that is the care and concern that God has over his creation. How much more care and concern does he have over you that he's even numbered the hairs on your head? 
You're of great, great value. And until you understand how God sees you and the value he places on you, you'll never rightly understand the way that he, um, the, the way he sees you, your identity in Christ. Because you'll say, I'm nothing but a worthless, good for nothing. I'm a sinner. Listen, Jonathan Edwards preached a fame, probably the most, most famous sermon ever preached, um, at least one of them. And it's, it's called the sinners in the hand of an angry God. But that's not who you are. You're not a sinner in the hand of an angry God. When you turn to Christ and you come to him and you accept his grace and you accept his forgiveness and you give him your life and you receive new life in Christ, you're no longer a sinner in the hand of an angry God. You're a child securely held in the hand of a loving father. It's a huge difference. I'm nothing but a worthless, good for nothing. No, it's not who you are. We have to understand our value and what God calls us, who he calls us, who we are in Christ. So we come to Christ, and the first thing he does is he says, listen, I know all the things that you've done. God knows everything. He knows all the things you've done. You've thought, you've looked at, you've said how you've behaved, where you've been, the, 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 the mistakes, the sin, the way you've hurt people, you've hurt yourself, the way you've lied, cheated, stolen from people. He knows all that. And you come to him, and he says, you have defined your life by all this stuff. But now you've come to me and accepted grace, love, forgiveness, mercy, and you said, I'm giving you all of that and I'm receiving new life in Christ. And this is what happens. It says this in uh, 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, when you come to Christ and give him your life, you become a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But I did this, right? You did that, but you're not that anymore. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm of no value. No, you're of great value. But I, I, I've messed up, right? The old is gone. The new has come. That's not who you are anymore. It's so easy to get caught up in that, but we have to understand that when we come to God, he makes us new. We're no longer defined by our past, by our sins, by our mistakes, by our failures, by any of those things. We are a new creation, and in that, he also gives us a new identity. So in uh, Galatians, Paul writes this. He says, if you are in Christ, you are children of God. Everyone say children of God. Okay, we're going to come back to that because that is one of the central points uh, we're going to talk about here this morning. You are children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So he says, the old is gone, the new is come, but on my sin, I, no, 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 you're none of those things. And your identity is no longer based on those things. See, we as, as people base our identity often on externals, our race, our background, our experiences. And we say that defines us. Um, a failure, um, an addict, I'm a success, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm ugly, I'm fat. I'm unlovable. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an executive. I'm a blue collar worker. I'm filling your blank. Whatever it is. I'm a mistake. I'm an accident. I'm good for nothing. I have no value. Look at me. Who could love that's how we define ourselves. But Paul says, no, no, no. When you come to Christ, you are now his child. 
And those things that you think used to identify you, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a, I'm a male, I'm a female, I'm a rich, I'm poor, I'm a Greek, I'm a Jew, I'm a, a Gentile. Those things aren't how you're going to be defined anymore. You're going to be defined as a child of God. In other words, those natural things that we tend to identify ourselves with are not what matters most. What matters most is your spiritual identity. Your spiritual identity is so much more important than your natural identity. And by natural identity, I mean those things that happen outwardly, those externals, the failures, the mistakes, the wins, the losses, the success, the failures, all those things that we want to define us, that is secondary, your background, your race, your national heritage. Listen, some of those things are important. There's nothing wrong with celebrating your cultural background. There's nothing wrong with knowing where you've come from. But it's not because those things define you anymore. It's so you could say, look, I was this, but look what I've become in Christ. I was trapped in sin. I was in bondage to those things. I was addicted. I was uh, living a life that was just off the rails. But look, that is not who I am. I am now accepted in Christ. I am his child. So what I want to look at this morning is that the reality that who I am says that you are. Who does God say you are? And this is so foundational, and here it is. You are unconditionally accepted as a child of God. You are unconditionally accepted as a child of God. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm unconditionally accepted as long as I do the right things. <laughs> I'm unconditionally accepted as long as I say the right things. I'm unconditionally accepted as long as I watch the right things. I'm unconditionally accepted as long as I listen to the right things. No, you're unconditionally accepted as a child of God, period. That's what unconditional means. There's no conditions. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Right? Uh, maybe you don't, but there's a father. He had two sons. One of them, the youngest son, said, I, I want my inheritance now, Dad. I really don't want to live with you anymore. It'd be better if you were dead, but you're not dying anytime soon, so I'll just take my money and go. And the father says, okay, here's your money. And he goes out and he wastes it. He spends it on prodigal living. That's where we get the name, prodigal son, wasteful living. He just wastes it. He squanders it to the point where he's got nothing left. He can't party anymore. He can't just buy friends. And he's left by himself. He's a Jewish boy and he's feeding pigs. And pigs aren't kosher. And so he really shouldn't be doing that. But he's got nothing to eat. So not only is he feeding the pigs, but then he's eating the slop that the pigs are eating. And sitting there in this pig pen, he says, you know, I remember living at my dad's house. And even the servants there had it so much better. I'm not worthy to be my dad's son anymore. But I'm going to go back to my dad and just ask him to hire me as a servant because at least then I'll have food to eat. So he goes back to the dad and he shows up and he says, Dad, uh, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. And the father says, uh, of course you're worthy to be my son as long as you don't ever mess up again, as long as you're always kind to your brother, as long as you don't say anything that hurts my feelings, as long as you never uh, do anything that dishonors me, as long as you... No, the father doesn't put any conditions on it. The father says, what are you talking about? You are my son. He doesn't say clean yourself up. He doesn't say make a, fix this mess you've made. He takes his cloak, puts it on him. He puts his ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet and says, come in, come in, come in, come home. You're my son. I thought I'd lost you and you're back. He doesn't reject him and he doesn't put conditions on it. He says, you are accepted unconditionally as my son. And that's what God says about you and about me. He says, when you come to me, you are accepted unconditionally. This is what it says about Jesus' ministry. To all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, to all who received him, 
To those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's the amazing thing. What gives you the right to be a child of God? What you do? No. What you believe. It's not based on your actions. It's not based on conditions. It's not based on saying the right things, doing the right things, acting the right way. It's simply based on coming to God, falling on your knees, and saying, I've messed up. And he will accept you as his child. He will accept you no matter what. It doesn't matter what you've thought. It doesn't matter what you've done. He'll accept you in. Acceptance is so important. It's vital to who we are. Think about your life growing up as a, as a child or look at children around you, right? Accept that they, they long for acceptance and approval. Listen to the things they say. Mommy, mommy, do you like my drawing? Daddy, how did I do in the game? Do you like the way I look? Did I sound good? Do you like my new dress? They are desiring acceptance and approval and so many of us are the same way and we are wired, we're conditioned, we grow, we grow up thinking that acceptance is based on performance. If I perform the right way, if I say the right thing, if I look good enough, if I act good enough, if I sound good enough, I'm accepted. If I get the A or the A+, plus, if I memorize the scripture verse, if I accomplish this thing, then I'm approved. Then I'll receive approval. So many of us live our lives neurotically trying to earn approval and acceptance. And even if you can, here's the problem it becomes elusive and fragile. Because what happens? The first time you don't get the A plus and you get the B, the first time you sing off key, the first time you miss the pitch and you strike out and you lose the game, all of a sudden your acceptance and approval and you're face to face with the harsh pain of rejection and condemnation. We, we seek and we desire approval we think we could find it in those things, but we can't. And then, so what, what happens is we're trying to find it in all those things. And so we think, if I can just live a way that never disappoints anyone. If I never disappoint everyone, if I do everything right all the time, then I'll always be accepted. Or we throw our hands up in the air and say, the heck with it, I'm going to live any way I want. I don't care what anybody says. But listen, deep down inside you, we all care what somebody else says. When we're honest with ourselves and we take the hard exterior off inside where we don't like to look, we care. And we say that because we care more than we want to let on. But we, what happens is we neurotically think, if I can just not disappoint anyone and do everything right, then I'll be accepted. The problem is this, there was this man named Jesus and he did live perfectly. And yet the Bible tells us he was rejected by everyone. Here's what it says in Isaiah. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, by others, by people, by humanity. He was rejected by everyone. So if we can't earn acceptance and approval outwardly, what are we left with? See, in the natural, your mom and dad can reject you. But in the spiritual, God will always, 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 always accept you. Here's what it says in Psalm 27. It says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Though they forsake me, though they desert me, the Lord will accept me in. See, God says, I want you to understand when you come to me and you accept my grace, you are my child. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never forsake you. So here's what Jesus said. 
He said, all whom my Father entrusts to me will come to me. Anyone, and anyone who comes to me, I will always accept them. I love this in the Amplified. I will never, no, never reject one of them who comes to me. I will never, no, never reject anyone who comes to me. But I've messed up. Listen, I'm having a hard time with forgiveness. I'm not as kind as I want to be to my spouse. I've lied. I've cheated. I've looked at things. I've been dishonest. I feel like I'm wearing a scarlet letter A because of the things I've done and everyone knows. But God says, I know all that, but I'll never, ever, ever reject you. But you don't know. I just, I'm good for nothing. No, you're not. You're of great value. I'll never reject you. So here's what I want to encourage you to do or ask you to do right now. Just right where you are, just close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Think about all the stuff that you've done. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things. We have a catalog of them. Think about it. Now hear Jesus saying to you, I will never, no never, reject you. I will accept you no matter what. And then begin to list your objections, but what about this thing. I'll never reject you. Never reject you. I'll always accept you. But what about what I did last night? I'll never, no, never reject you. What about the time I, I'll never, no, never reject you. Just hear God's voice speaking that to you. Now, here's what I know. If we're going to identify ourselves and accept that our identity is that we are unconditionally accepted as God's children, it means we need to also see God as our Father. And for some of you, that is one of the hardest things to accept. I'm a child, but listen, if you're a child of God, by extension, God is your Father. But some of you have had horrible experiences with your earthly fathers. They were mean. They were unkind. They were abusive. They were absent. They abandoned you. They weren't around. They were tyrannical. They were harsh. And you can, I, I know people that, that, right, what did Jesus say when he teaches us the Lord's Prayer? He says, when you pray, pray like this. And what does he start with? You know the words. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, I know people who can't utter that phrase. They can say, dear Jesus, God. They can pray all kinds of ways, and they pray, and their prayer is sincere, but they, it's so hard for them to say, Heavenly Father, my Father. So for some of you this week, what you need to do is just figure out, how am I going to, uh, if I'm going to accept and I'm unconditionally accepted as a child of God, then I need to see God as my Father. And so this week, just, just find a way, break through, because if you push through and break through, it may change your life. And it may be one of the most difficult things. You're going to try and pray, heavenly... And it might take you five, six, eight, twenty, thirty tries, but eventually with tears in your eyes and, and, and uh, just a catch in your throat, heavenly Father. And I'm telling you, it may be the very breakthrough that you've been wanting. Because all of a sudden, you are accepting that he is my father. And I am his son. I am his daughter. I am his child. And I am accepted. So, we need to get to that point where we say God loves us. He accepts us. We're his child. He accepts us unconditionally. He'll never reject us. What that means is this. You do not, you do not, you do not have to be perfect to be accepted by God. <laughs> Listen, 
You are accepted by God, not because of how good you are, but because of how good God is. You're accepted by God, not because of all the good works that you do, but because of Christ's finished work on the cross. You're accepted by God, not because all of the, the things that you're able to accomplish, but because Jesus has accomplished everything. When he said, it is finished, it was done. So all of a sudden you realize, I don't have to try and earn God's approval. See, if you can earn God's approval, it means you can lose God's approval. And if you can lose God's approval, it means you have to work to maintain God's approval. And if you have to work to maintain God's approval, then you're not accepting it and receiving it by grace. You're receiving it by works. And if you're receiving it by works, then it's transactional. And that's how we're wired, right? If I do this, then I'll get that. If I behave, then I get grace. If I act a certain way, then God loves me. If I behave a certain way, then God accepts me. But as soon as I stop behaving, stop doing the right thing, stop acting the right way, then God will reject me. But God will never reject you. Jesus said, I won't reject anyone who's come to me. Even if everyone else rejects you, what does it say in Psalm? I will never reject you. I'll never forsake you. I will always, always, always accept you because if it is by your effort then it's not by grace this is what it says in romans if it is by grace it's no longer on the basis of works on what you do on your behavior otherwise grace would no longer be grace see grace is completely undeserved that's what makes it grace it's completely unearned that's what makes it grace it's not anything you can do to to earn grace that's what makes it grace see grace declares that you that what you do does not define who you are what you do is does not god defines who you are but it is so difficult for people because we tend and many christians do uh, we tend to confuse our behavior with our identity if i behave a certain way i'm accepted and so if your identity is tied to your behavior this messes with you man it just sounds like you're just encouraging sin to run rampant in the church pastor no i'm inviting the holy spirit to run rampant in people's hearts let him change them this isn't about allowing sin this is about saying, no matter what you do, God loves you and accepts you. Does he want you to change? Absolutely. Absolutely, he wants you to change. But why do we change? We don't change because God demands us to change. And if we don't, we lose our acceptance. If we did, then we push grace aside and it becomes all works. We change. Think about a human relationship, right? Now, in a human relationship, you have two flawed human beings, husband and wife, two friends, uh, Parents to child, it doesn't matter. You've got these two flawed human beings, but you're trying to grow in a dynamic love relationship with each other. And if it's a healthy relationship, one or the other, or hopefully both, at different times will say, you know, I realize that this behavior is wounding this person. It's hurting my spouse. It's hurting my friend. I want to change because I want our relationship to grow and flourish and improve. I don't want to continue to hurt this person. It's not the other person saying, you must change. It's you saying, I want to change out of my relationship to you. 
And the other person at different times says, man, I, I realize I'm hurting you and wounding you. I want to change because I want our relationship to be better. But now relate that to your relationship with God. God is perfect. He is unchanging. He's the unchanging one. He doesn't need to change in order for our relationship to grow. But we look and say, God, you know, there are things that I do that I know hurt you and hurt others and wound your heart. And I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to change because I want our relationship to be better. What motivates us to change is our love relationship to God, not because he's demanding change from us. Well, that sounds like license to sin. I mean, what happens when we sin? Does God not even care? Does it matter? No, God cares. God doesn't want us to sin. God wants us to change and be transformed, to be made more and more to the image and likeness of his son, Jesus, because he is the firstborn among many children, among many brothers and sisters. So what happens when we sin? It grieves the heart of our Heavenly Father, right? In, in the natural, right? So you got a, a parent and a child, uh, and, and the, 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 you see your children, and they make a bad choice. It hurts them, it hurts others, it hurts a friend, it hurts their sibling, a cousin, a parent, a teacher, a coach. And, and what do we do? It, it hurts us. We grieve for our children. Oh, I want better for you. When you're making that choice, it's hurting you, it's hurting someone else, it's hurting your relationship, it's hurting your family, it's, it's damaging people, and we want better for our children than the choices that they're making, and it breaks our heart, but what we don't do is say to the four-year-old, listen, I told you not to do that, that's it, I'm done with you. Gave you a try, four years, that's enough. Well, no, no, I wouldn't do that to my four-year-old, yeah, but I know some of you got 14-year-olds, and you're like, yeah, the 14-year-old... You know, you keep talking like that, you can just get out. No, we don't do that. What about the 24-year-old? We don't do that either. We say, I want more for you. I want better for you. When they're 44 or 54, if you're still parents and your kids are 64, you're saying, I want better for you. I want better for you. And it grieves my heart when you make sinful, poor, hurtful decisions. And God is the same way. He's a good father. He loves us. And when he sees us make hurtful decisions, bad decisions, when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God doesn't say, well, you sin too much. I'm done with you. I reject you. You're out. No, sinful choices grieve the heart of your heavenly father. But grief is not the same as rejection. We sin and God's grace is there. In Romans 5, it says when sin increases, grace increases all the more. In Romans 2, it tells us that don't you understand? It's the goodness of God, the kindness of God that's meant to lead us to turn away from sin, to repent, to change, to live different not the law it's not requirement it's not legalism it's not religion it's God saying I, I want this from you if you don't get that what will happen is you'll either begin to serve God and live for God and you'll say I have to behave a certain way in order to keep being accepted and after a while that's that's no there's no joy in it it sucks the joy out of life the other option is you say God wants too much of me He's demanding too much. He's not demanding anything, but that's what you think. He's demanding too much, and we turn and we walk away from God. Or we water down grace, and we say, God would never expect me to really change. I mean, this is, my, this is, this is what I feel. This is who I am. This is what I desire. And he wouldn't ask me to change. But listen, you're more than what you feel. You're more than your base instinct and you're more than your desire. You are an unconditionally accepted child of God. He wants the best, the best, the best for you. 
Our need for acceptance is God-given. It is in the heart of every person. And if it is a God-given need, that means that the best, the primary, the first, not the only, but the primary place that we should look to get that need met is through and by God. Not by outside influence, not from people, but from God. See, if you're looking for your acceptance from people, what will happen is over time, you'll say, I am so scared of being rejected by this tribe, this clan, this group, this, this place where I found belonging, these people, this voice, this person. I am so scared of being rejected that I will compromise spiritually in order to avoid rejection. But if you look for your acceptance primarily from God, secondarily from people, then you don't fear rejection because what did Jesus say? I will never, no, never, no, never reject you. So this is what Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, do you think I'm trying to make people accept me? No, 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 no. I'm wanting God's acceptance. I'm wanting to please God. I'm wanting to live in a way that honors God. Because if I'm trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I'm trying to please people, I can't live in a way that honors God. If I'm trying to, be, to, to please people, at some point, I'm going to stop doing the things that please God. I can't have it both ways, Paul says. He says, you have to do one or the other. God has to be the primary source of your acceptance. See, I want you to walk away realizing that today and every day you are accepted because Jesus' great love for you. You are accepted because of his grace. You are accepted because of what he's done on the cross. You are accepted and loved, not based on what people say, but based on what God says. You are accepted, not based on anything that you do, but everything that Christ has done. And you don't have to work and, and earn and maintain your acceptance, you can rest in that. You are a child secure in the hand of a loving heavenly father. So here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. If you would just stand to your feet. I wanna end with us making a declaration because for some of you, you need to hear yourself say this. You don't even believe it. But if you'll say it, if you'll hear it, if you'll repeat it over and over and over and let it take root in your heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sometimes you just have to say it and say it and say it. And when the lies of the enemy come in, speak the truth. And over time, that truth will take root in your heart and it will change you. So here's what I want to declare together, that I am unconditionally accepted as a child of God. In just a moment, we're going to declare that. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I ask right now, as we prepare to make this statement, to declare this truth, God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive it. God, I thank you that you accept us when we turn to you. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. We can simply rest in your acceptance, in your love, in your grace. We can know that we are your children because you have done everything and we can do nothing. All we need to do is believe it. All we need to do is believe it. God, we have the right to identify ourselves, to see ourselves, to know that we are your children. God, I pray that this week, this month, this year, God, this truth would be poured, uh, would be poured into our hearts, to our souls. And God, it would take root deep, deep, deep in the inner person of each one of us here. 
So now open your eyes, and we're going to say this together on the count of three. We're going to say it a number of times, and then we're going to go into a time of worship. There's going to be prayer teams up here. And after we make this statement, and we start to sing, if you would say, I want prayer, I want to stamp God's uh, truth into my heart that I am accepted. And let someone come up and pray with you. Maybe you don't want prayer. You just want to kneel at the altar. That's fine. But make your way up here. Don't lose this moment because this moment may change everything. So on the count of three, we're going to say this together. One, two, three. I am unconditionally accepted as a child of God. Let's say it again. I am unconditionally accepted as a child of God. Again, I am unconditionally accepted as a child of God. I am loved. I am accepted. I am good. I am, uh, God loves you. I can't say it enough. So now let's worship God together and step forward, come forward and let God stamp his love on your heart.